I'm glad to see you. If I couldn't see you, I'd be sick or I'd be dead. And I'm neither. So we're here. Amen? Amen. And this week has come with some problems. Probably you've had some problems this week. You probably had some difficulties this week. Some of you might have had some good times this week. And that's good. Life's like that. It comes and it comes in waves of problems and then in waves of blessings. And sometimes the blessing and the problem can be all wound up together and it can be a real mess up in your mind. You don't know whether to laugh or to cry sometimes. It's, no, it's great to know that Jesus is in the midst of it all in this life. Amen? That as we're going through life, Jesus is with us. He's going through it with us. So we want to have a look and, at... Uh, this subject today the spirit is with us in exodus chapter 33 verses 14 to 15 remember we said that the lord said to moses um, i will personally go with you moses and i will give you rest everywhere will be fine everything will be fine for you and then moses said if you don't personally go with us don't make us leave this place that should be our prayer every day don't, if you don't if you're not going to personally go with us jesus i, I don't want to go into this week i don't want to go into this day you know what jesus said he would go with us he said he would stay with us he would be with us and uh, that the holy spirit would dwell with us and live with us remember we looked at isaiah 11 verses 1 to 2 and the prophet isaiah said that out of uh, jesse's line that's uh that's david's grandfather's line or david's father's line there was a a a a descendant going to come who would who would be the savior of the world and that descendant is jesus he came from that line and um he said the spirit of god is going to rest upon him and he said this the spirit of the lord will rest on him the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the lord the sevenfold spirit of god was going to rest on christ and if christ is living in us what does that mean it means all of the sevenfold spirit of God lives within us as well. Everything that God is, is within us. Everything that God has, he has provided for us, it dwells with that's why, that's why Paul says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. The spirit of Jesus in you is the hope of glory. You can't do it by yourself. You were never meant to do it by yourself. So here we're going to take ourselves back now to just before the children of Israel are entering into the promised land. So we're at Joshua chapter 1. And Moses has died. They've had a wrestle over his body. Um, that's the angels. And uh, he's there now. Um, Joshua is left there now by himself. And the Lord says to him, let's read this. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, you and all the people, to the land which I am giving to you, to them, the children of Israel. And then he says this verse, and it's an amazing verse because this is a, a repeat of a verse that he said to Abraham, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, as I said to Moses. That's amazing. I like that verse. I want to think about that verse. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread, 
I have given you, notice the tense, not I will give you, but I have already given you, as I said to Moses. So there, on the very first thing, he's told Joshua that wherever his foot treads, wherever the children of Israel tread, that place on which they are standing, he's already given them. Now, I think about those words and I think about what that could mean for me. If we're talking about possessing the land, it means every situation and every circumstance and every station that I find myself in, no matter where it is, whatever it is, wherever it is, I can take possession of that place. I can own that place. I can own my space. So if I, if I come into a situation and it, say, for instance, in my life, the rain comes down and, and it looks really grim and it's made my whole life a, a bog. For instance, you know, some of you have seen some bog this week. It's made your life a bog. You are living there. Jesus is right there with you. You can take ownership of that place and own that situation. You know, sometimes the situation owns us. Sometimes we feel the weight of it and we say, this thing is just being worked on me. I got no control in this thing. I got nowhere to go in this thing. I'm just being worked over here. It's, this is an injustice. But that's not what the scripture tells us. The scripture says in every situation, wherever you're sole of your foot, you can own that space. You can bring God into that space and you can recognize God's presence in that place. And that place you can take control of. There is nowhere in our lives, nothing in our lives that should take us by surprise and should throw us in a, in a tailspin and we say, oh, I'm out of control now. I'm scared. I'm fearful. You've got to live where you are with God in the place. Everywhere your sole of your foot shall stand, you can say, God has given me this situation. I might be unemployed. I might not have what I need, but God has given me this time to be unemployed. I know he will give me a job when he wants a job for me to give. But I'm going to own this space now. And I'm going to say, what do you want me to do in this place, Lord Jesus? This is your place. This is where you're living. This is where I'm living. So what we can do in this situation? I'm unemployed. I might be in school and the study might be getting to me. It might be difficult. It might be hard. I might get confused about it. But you're there because God put you there. Own it. Own that place. What do you want me to do? What are you trying to teach me through this situation? You want me to study harder? You want me to get my head around something? I've got to turn some stuff off so I can get focused? Is that what you want me to do, Jesus? I'm here with you, Jesus. What do you want me to do in this place? We want to own this place right here now, wherever you are. That's what I get from that. Everywhere your foot stands... No matter what situation you're going through, no matter what circumstance that is on your life, Jesus says to you, I have given you that. You can have authority in that place. You can own that place. I like that. Life is for living in the Spirit of God. Song of Solomon says these words in Ecclesiastes 9. He says, whatever your hands find to do, and I think... Paul quotes that in one of his gospel, in one of the um, epistles, uh, prison epistles. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. And then he says, For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you're going. Now, I want to just sort of stop for a moment and just sort of talk to you about 
given up, you know, quitting. It's easy to quit. But life is for living, not for dying. Life is for doing, not for giving up. Now, you and I both know that we're going to face situations in our life that are going to call us to quit. They're going to call us to stop moving forward in God because that's what happens in life. We come up against the mountain. We say, I don't think I'll ever get past this mountain. I don't think I'll ever get to the promised land. I don't think I'll ever get across the Jordan. I don't think I'll ever get to the place where God wants me to. I just can't get there. And yet the place on which we are standing is given to us. It's where God wants us to be at that point of time. We're right there where God wants us to be. And we have to recognize that and say, whatever I'm finding my hand in there, and it might be just sweeping the floor. It might be not what I want to do, but it's sweeping the floor. I'll do it with all my might because now is the time to live, not to die. You have to choose the direction you're going. You want to go to death? Well, you know how death, you, you know what will take you to death. You just go that way. You just don't bother to do anything. You just sit back and, okay, and you just die on the inside. But life is not for a believer. Life is not for dying. Life is for living and living abundantly, which means that we have to take our place in our life where we are and we take it with both hands and say, I don't care how hard it may feel right now, you know what? Jesus allowed this in my life. And if Jesus allowed this in my life, he's got the answer to this problem right now. And I can deal with this. And yet things will have to change. Some things, some, sometimes things have to change in our lives for us to hang on to the life. that Jesus, Because we've got to go into the promised land. And we've got to own the place that we're living and where we're standing. Joshua says to the people, he says, I have, have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage and do not be dismayed, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So he says, have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage, do not, uh, do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now we know that Hebrews tells us those exact words. The writer of the Hebrews says these words in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5. It says, let your conduct be without covetousness, be content with whatever things you have. For he himself says, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you, where you may boldly say, the Lord is my help, I shall not fear what man shall do unto me. Now when he says, be strong, this is what this word strong means. And I'm going to... Try and explain it to you. Be strong. How do you be strong? He says, to strengthen something. Prevail. To harden something. So let's take those ideas to start off with. To strengthen something. You know, if you have um, a plastic bag and you try and hold it out in front of you like that, you know what's going to happen? It's going to fall over. It's just a limp. How would you strengthen the plastic bag so it could sit out straight like that? Tell me, how would you do that? You could blow it up with air, and then you'd have it, and you'd stick the paper, the plastic bag with it. You'd fill it with air, and it would have strength to stand out there in front of you. That's one way. How else would you strengthen the plastic bag to stick out in front of you? Put a lot more plastic bags inside it and sit it out there, and, the, and because it's full of something, it would sit out there. You could fill it with something, and it would stick out there. How else could you do it? 
There's plenty of ways to skin a cat. If you get a plastic bag and you twist it and twist it and twist it and then twist another plastic bag with it and twist, 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 twist and then hold it and twist it and then apply a little bit of heat to it, just warm it up a bit, it might stand out there. It might stand out there because it's all twisted together. That's how a rope works. You can strengthen things by adding things to it, by filling something up. Your life may need a little bit of adding something to it, a little bit of filling up of something to be strengthened. But if you, if you think, I've got to strengthen myself, you might have to go somewhere, get something, put something in there and strengthen you. Strengthen yourself with the Word of God. Put it in there. It fortifies you. Praying in tongues fortifies you, the Scripture said. It edifies you. It strengthens you. It's a gift given to give you power and strength. It says to prevail, that means that, what's prevail? Who knows what prevail means? Who doesn't, who doesn't know what prevail means? Put your hand up if you haven't got a clue what the word prevail means. Well, that's right. Well, prevail is a word that means overcome. So when something comes against you and is working hard against you, to prevail is to overcome it, which means that you might have to take a couple of blows before you get over on top of it which means that you might be pushed a certain way, but you have to push back just a bit harder. It means that you have to keep on going when you feel like quitting. Prevailing means that you don't stop. You keep on going and you keep on going harder at something. It's overcoming, prevailing over something. So if it's, if it's you're feeling down and depressed, how would you prevail? Tell me, call it out. Good, there's a, put on a nice bit of music, Christian music, put the plug in there, turn it up nice and big and strong, rank, crank that music up, have a nice Jesus-focused song and you'll prevail over the depression. How other ways would you, feeling down, how would you prevail? Read the Word of God. I'll take the Word of God. I'll take a good psalm and I'll start to read the psalm. And as I'm reading the psalm, I'll say, Lord Jesus, I'm just feeling like I'm weak. I just like the psalm. But oh, and then look at that. You know, and you'd feel the strength come inside of you. You'd prevail. That's overcoming the depression. You're feeling down. You're feeling like you just don't want to keep on going. How would you overcome? How would you prevail? Another idea. How would you prevail? Dance. Number one dance. So you got the music on and you're thinking, I just don't feel like... And then you get up and you start to do those moves. With the, listen to the Christian music. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's the captain. He's the king. And one, two, one, two, three. Jesus gives the victory. And oh, 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 yeah. You feel it come on you. That's prevailing. Well, if you want to die, what do you do? If you want to die, what do you do? Just lay down on the deathbed and do nothing. You will not prevail. You have to do something to prevail. You have to refuse to quit. You have to rise up on the inside. You have to do something to overcome. You can't just let it wash over you and say, oh, it's washing over me. Stand up and push back. Make an effort. Turn on the inside and say, even though this is hard, I will prevail. That's what strength is. Harden something. Harden. That's the word, harden. Who, who likes using araldite? Who knows what araldite is? That's the glue. It has two parts. 
You put one part here, one part there, you mix them together and it gets hot. You've got about five minutes, if it's five minute aerodite, to work with that stuff. You say, well, this part here is broken and that part's broken. And you put those two, it's sloppy, it's dribbling everywhere. You know, it's going, oh, and you stick them all together and then it stops. It stops dripping everywhere. Why? Because it's hardened. And then you try and pull them apart. You can't because it's stuck together. Harden yourself. When you're in life and things are going on in in your life and you're feeling so weak and floppy and you need to stand up, get some backbone and harden yourself. Get that word of God, the Holy Spirit within you and then say, okay, even though this is really hard, I'm getting tougher now. I'm getting stronger now. I'm going to harden up. Some of us, the devil gets us with our emotions, you know. The emotions are the things that he, he gets us every time. You know, we look at something and we get, oh, we get so upset about that. I can't take it any longer. You don't know what's going on in my life, Mark. Harden up. Harden up. I, it, is, it is difficult, I understand. Life is not easy. But you've got to be like a, a, a nurse in the hospital. You've seen these wounds? Look at all the flesh open up there and the pus. In this one, we get a brush and we scrub it. But I think I'm going to be thick. You know, ask Esther. How is it, Esther? You see the gross things? This is where the arm used to be. This is just the hole where the arm used to be. Yeah, we have to get in there and clean it out, you know. It's like, I want to be sick. Oh, we put maggots in that wound. You put what in what? We put maggots in that wound because that helps eat the dead flesh. You're talking about doctors and, yeah. yeah and, we put, and we put leeches on here. You see, you, 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 I, I don't want to work in a hospital. Why is that? Because you've got a, a weak stomach. You need to harden up. When you get to the hospital, if you want to be a strong nurse, you need to harden up. You need to be able to walk down there and see this person with their, with their limb hanging off, dragging their foot, and you think, oh, yeah, that must hurt. You know, sit down there. We're going to, this is going to hurt more before it's finished. I, I remember when, when Carlos used to, and he's not here now, so I can talk about it. I remember, Carlos, I remember when Carlos used to work for him. We, we, we had a, uh, an electric saw, you know. Uh, I don't know whether you're working on that job. We're working, near the, we're working on a hospital site. And, you know, I was working up on a, on a, and I was nailing some timber and I'd call out a measurement to Carlos. I said, this one has to be 130 mil long. Can you do that with a check out of the side? And I'd tell him what it is. He said, yeah, yeah, right. And he'd be around there. And you could hear the saw go. And it'd go, you know, through the timber. You know, you, you could hear him cutting the saw up. So I heard this. And then I heard the saw drop. Bang, 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 bang. Immediately I thought, so I jump down and I run around and here's Carlos. He's got his hand like this and he goes, he's doing a little dance. <laughs> Are you harding up? <laughs> he's dancing. <laughs> I said, show me. Oh, no, 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 no. He didn't want to show me. Uh, open your hand. And he opened his hand and the top of his thumb was laying down on the side there. He just gone straight, straight through his thumb. 
Oh, that's a flesh wound. Put it back on top, you know, stick it back on, wrap something around it. No blood because it was all just, boom. Wrap his hand up and said, come with me, we'll go to the emergency. Just walk through the, and sat him down in the emergency. Well, they looked at it and they said, oh, because he sits back on top, it's not hanging off the side anymore. They think it's just a little cut across it. They said, no, it's gone all the way through. So they say, oh, no, that's nothing. And he colours, oh, he got to harden up. Look, look, friends, life is going to dish you some really nasty stuff. Some really, really horrible stuff. And I know it's painful, and I know, but if you don't deal with this, and if you don't strengthen yourself in God, and if you don't focus in God, and get that hard stuff, it's all designed to kill you, or to make you stronger. And it's your choice what it does. You can get bitter, or you can get better. You can get, you can get washed out by the thing, or you can stand up and say, you know what, I'm going to get harder, get stronger. I'm going to own this moment. I'm going to own what's happening to me now. It's tough what's happening to me now, but I'm going to own it with Jesus inside me. I'm going to own this time. And I'm going to do something in this situation. I'm not just going to let it wash over me. I'm not going to just sit there and let it take me out. I'm going to let God do something in me through this time. This is my land. This is God's place. This is God's moment. This is God's opportunity in my life. Strength and prevail. To become strong to be courageous, to be brave, to be firm. Courageous means to be strong and alert. means to be stout. Stout. Everybody say stout. That's an English word, stout. Stout, like it's O-U-T with the S-T on front. S-T-O-U-T, like out with S-T. Stout. Yeah. Have we any stout people here? Stout means strong. It's like, you know, buff would be the equivalent. Who knows what buff means? All the young people know what buff is. Buff is what you get when you start working out, you know. Buff, stout. It means strength. It means strong. It means being strong. It means exercising so you can get strong. So they're going towards the promised land. They're going into a place where there are giants, where there is people who are around them that looks much stronger than them. And he says to the people as they're going towards the Jordan, he says, be strong, be of good courage, be exercising yourself, be refusing to be weak. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. The word dismayed be, being shattered. Shattered. Dismayed. Shattered. I looked and I saw and I was shattered. Listen, for the Christian, there is no shattering moment. There's a hymn that sings, It is well with my soul. It is well with it. An old, old-fashioned hymn. Who, who's heard, you heard that song? It is well with my soul. It is well. You know, how, what's, the, what's the origin of, this, of the hymn? A man lost all his family. That's shattering news. His wife, his, all his daughters climbed on a ship and sailed out the harbour. He's decided to stay back because he had some more work to do. They were going on home in front of him. The ship got outside the heads. A storm came, took the ship out, and the whole lot went down. Everybody on board died. 
shattered. You know, if you didn't have God, you'd be shattered. But you've got God, and God's in the moment. God's in the time where you live in. God is with you at that moment and that time. And he, he got on a boat after everything had settled down, and he went and he, 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 he anchored over where the ship was underneath. And he looked down and he called out to God and he said, God, help me. And God gave him a song and it said, it is well with my soul. There was nothing that was going to shake his resolve, nothing that could take him out, nothing that could make him be dismayed, nothing that would make him question his God. His children had gone to be with the Father, Heavenly Father. He said, it's okay, it's okay. And he went on. You can't be dismayed. Life is for living, not for dying. You've got to raise up yourself and be strong inside and have good courage to do this thing. In the early days, the blood of the martyr was the seed of the church. You became a Christian. You sat in church on Sunday. The next day, somebody outside said, do you believe in Jesus? And I'd ask you three times. He said, yes, three times. They said, come with me. Then they'd put you on a stake. Don't be dismayed. And they'd light you up and burn you to death. Don't be dismayed. You say, well, friends, there are more Christians being martyred for their faith today than they were ever martyred before. Most of the uprisings that you're reading now that are happening over in these, in these eastern countries that you're hearing about, and you see people in the churches are being burned down, they're, they're, they're taking Christians out and they're killing them, cutting their heads off and doing all kinds of... Mild, oh, just have to read the... It's happening today. Oh, it's not good press. They don't put it on the newspapers. What would happen if it came here, knocked on that door? Would you be dismayed or would you have courage? What's the strength that you have on the inside? I can't possess the land unless the presence of the Lord possesses me. That's the basic rule. Okay, Here's the principle. I want to own my space. I want to be in charge of where I am. I want to be in control. I mean, everybody wants to be in control in their lives, don't they? They want to have some level of control in their lives. You cannot own your space. You cannot own the land unless the Lord owns you. Unless you're possessed by God. You cannot possess the land unless the Lord possesses you. That's just the principle. That's the principle that's true right through life. You will never get where you want to or God wants you to be unless you are completely and totally surrendered to God. You'll never get there. You'll never possess the land unless the Lord possesses you. And the reality is this is a question of control. And our society has done a lot to sort of mess up your mind about who's in control of your life. Our society says that self is in the centre. That means you by yourself without God is in the centre. It tells you that self is in control. You control it without God. It says that self determines what's right and wrong. 
You like my writing? In the moment, you see. And it says that self justifies its actions. Well, that's what our society tells you. You, self justifies his actions. You know, the reason I did that is because, you know, you, would, you wouldn't know, Mark, because you don't ex- go, what I, what? and off we go. We justify our bad behavior. We justify the things we do. This is with self in the center. But God doesn't say that to us. God's word says God has to be, is the center. He's the core of us. That means God is in control his holy spirit controls us because he's living inside us we have the spirit of self-control within us he's in control it says that god defines what's right and wrong and we get that from the word of god and we get that from our conscience we get that from the word of god because the word of god says flee from X, Y, and Z. It says, stop this. Put this off. It tells us what's right. It tells us what's wrong. That's where we get our morality from, from the Word of God. The Ten Commandments are all the basis of, of moral oughts, shoulds, and musts. He's telling us what's right and wrong. And, of course, we get that. We mess it up. We understand we break the rules. And that's when God says, well, I'll justify your actions. He justifies it. So when you, when you stuff up and you ask God to forgive you, he says, well, he makes it up. He, he takes the hole that you've just produced and he just cleans it up and makes a clean, flat path. So when you are lacking, he fills up the gap. He said, well, I can't do this. I don't have the power to do it. He said, I will give you the power to do it. You have a lack, I will be your supply. I, I don't have the health. He says, I will give you the healing. If, if he, I, the healing's not coming, well, so what's happening there? He says, I will give you the grace and the strength to keep on going, even though the healing's not here yet. I mean, he, he's constantly there, and he justifies it. Where you have a lack, he fills it up to the top, and when you have too much, he's able to bring you down to, to level ground. That's what he does. It's not you that's in the middle, it's God that's in the middle. And the reality is the control in my life is not my control in my life, not my control in my situation, but it's God's control in my situation. And it's then the question of Jesus owns me and I belong to God. Therefore, I can have that control in my life because I belong to God and he owns me. You might think you own yourself. And this reality is a difficult thing. The Bible doesn't teach you that you belong to yourself. Farad does not belong to Farad. Farad does only belong to God. God owns Farad. Wait a minute. I like to think that I'm, I own myself. I'm, I have some sort of... You, you see, you think that there's, sort of, there's three... Three things happening here. You, you think that God owns certain people over here, that the devil owns certain people here, and that these people in the middle, they own themselves. Well, the Bible doesn't actually tell you that. It says you belong to either one or two crowds. You're either owned by God or you're owned by the devil. You, there's no midway. So 
the song I Did It My Way by Frank Sinatra is a deception because there is no my way, it is the devil's way. It's a deception. You either do it God's way or you do it the devil's way. Now, this is what the scripture says. And this says, it says, flee sexual immorality. Now, at this point of time in this church, this is what the guys were doing and the girls were doing. Corinth was a bad place. And in Corinth, there was a um, temple prostitution, which means you had your local church, but you also had the local temple with the with the the god diana in it and uh, what they used to do there is that you come up there and it was like a brothel you know what a brothel is you actually pay for sex so you'd go there and all the girls that were working up there they would actually work up there and you'd go up there and you'd put some money down there and they, they'd take you and they'd give you religious sex that's what the thing was it was a, that was the pagan society so some of the guys at the church thought this is a good thing. What we'll do is go to church on Sunday and on Monday we'll go up with our money to the, to the temple on the hill and see the girls. Thinking that you could play this game on Monday and live something different on Sunday. And so that's why he's saying that. That was the context of this verse. He's saying flee sexual immorality. He says don't think that you can go and do that. That's not acceptable. That's not acceptable behavior. Every sin that a man does is outside his body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his body. He's saying, don't do that. You're going to sin against your own body. And then he says, or do you not? And he brings this in. He says, I want you to know something. He says, let, let, let me enlighten you about yourself here. He says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit is in you? He says, someone's living in you that's holy. God, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of you. Turn to your neighbor and say to them, if you have asked Jesus in your heart, God, the Holy Spirit, lives there. God, the Holy Spirit, lives in you. Turn to your neighbor and say, is God living in you? Well, if God's living in you, he owns you. He can't be living inside you and not own you. If he lives inside you, he owns you. And that's what exactly he says. He says, whom you have from God and whom, and you are not, what does it say? You are not what? You're not your own. If you're not your own, whose are you? You belong to God. Turn to the person. If God's living in you, you belong to God. Tell them. You belong to God. You belong to God, Amy. You belong to God, Ray. I, I belong to God. I belong to God. Say it. I belong to God. I'm owned. God owns me. I, I don't own myself. God owns me. That, say it to yourself. God owns me. God owns me and he owns the ground I'm standing on. God owns me and he owns the situation I'm in. God owns me and he knows the situation I'm in. He's not, he's not surprised by what's happening to me. He owns me. He's living inside me and I can own the situation I'm in. I don't care what it is. You may say, oh, this is a horrible situation. I've ever been here. Oh, we could be homeless. Hey, stop. G- own it. God is here in it. He can help you through it. And he can make it blessings for you. Amen. See, you know, life is for living, not for being pushed around and dying. You have to stand up and live your ground. He says, for you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, 
which is God. So what he was saying to these guys, he says, when you go up to the temple prostitute, guess what you're doing? You're taking God up to the temple prostitute. You're doing your stuff there. You're making God do the stuff through you. And then you're coming back to church on Sunday and saying, it has no effect. I want you to think that through. Put it in a shoe, will you? Here's it in a living shoe. You want to be bad? Take me for the ride. Ring me up and say, Mark, I'm just going to go and visit something that I shouldn't be doing. I, wouldn't, I hate you to know about this, but ring me up. I'll come for the ride. I'll stop and I'll stand. I'll watch the whole thing. How, how would you feel? How do you function if you, you turn on and you've got a godly person standing beside you looking at the things that you're looking at? How do you feel? You know, you think, oh, I, I, you want to hide that magazine or you want to turn that show off or you want to... Not the, it's embarrassing because, you know, Mark's here in the room or something. This is... This is well, so what about Mark? Mark's got his own problems. Listen, God Almighty's in the room with you. He's there, watching. <laughs> that was the wonderful thing about prophecies in the early church. That was what they actually, that's what the prophecy was. That you'd sit there and you'd come to church and you'd think you're okay. And then somebody'd stand up. I saw you this afternoon when you turned that on and watched that. And somebody who wouldn't know would get something from God and would bring out all your secrets and put them on the table like that in front of everybody. And just to let you know, God is watching you. He watches you every day. It's exactly what he's doing. So listen, First Peter says that, he says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, he says, God's special possession. God's special possession. We are God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Here is, here's that whole ocean, notion. Here you are in a situation. You're God's special possession. What are you going to do in the circumstances? Well, I don't know what you're going to do. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to let the flesh rule you. You're going to become angry and, re- and, and, and fight. What are you going to do in this situation? You're going to get the world to tempt you? Think about it. You've got the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world will say, follow us. Do what I do. Act like me. Wear what I wear. Say what I say. Dress, drive what I drive. Live what, in what I live in. The world will, will... What are you going to do? You're going to live according to the world or live according to the Spirit of God? The devil would say, let me control you. Let me control you. You listen to the voices. Let me control you. Do what I say now. Everybody will think you're mad, but you know, I've got control of you. Do what I say. Are you going to let the flesh rule you? The flesh. Oh, I just feel like I've just got to do something with this. You know, you don't know what the feelings I get. You know, the, the cravings I have. The, 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 it's just driving me forward. Well, you're not owned by the flesh, you're not owned by the devil, and you're not owned by the world. You're owned by God. So it's not, it doesn't matter what the flesh tells you to do. If God is not telling you to do that, you don't do it. It doesn't matter what the world's issue is. You don't do what the world wants you to do. You don't do what the devil wants you to do. You are God's person. You are God's special person. So it's God, okay, before I do anything here, I know I can, I can hear the messages coming at me from the world, the flesh, and the devil. I can hear it all coming at me. The voices are talking to me, God. God, what do you want to do? Because I'm yours and you're mine. Let's own this space now. 
The temptation is on, God. It's pressing at me now. God, what do you want me to do now? Because this is your land, this is your space, and I'm your man. What do you want me to do? And he says, turn the thing off and it will go away. Okay. Oh, oh boy, that was it's talking to me. I didn't think I was going to have any power. but I. Or you might say, tell it to leave you. Tell it to leave you. Get out of my head, you foul thought. Get, out away, get away from me. Speak to it and tell it to leave. God wants you to own the ground on which you walk. He has already got it. He already owned it he, and he owns you. He wants you to take control of it. You're his special person. He says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. Have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good works, observe, and by your good works, observe and glorify God in the day of visitation. Why? Because we become a reflection of God in our moment. Because God is in us and we recognize that we belong to God. Every time we act accordingly, we become a reflection of God's presence Uh, some of you may have been at work and you may have recognized at different times people have said to you, I want something that you're on. You know, they see you, you, you come to work and you're happy, you've, got, you've, got, you know, you, you've spent some time with Jesus, it doesn't seem like the weights are on your life, and they say, what, what are you on? Like you're taking some sort of drugs. Who's had somebody said that to them? What are you on? Yeah, yeah, I, I had that. What are you on? I want some of what you want. You know, so, you know, what is that that you got there? Can I have some of that? You know what that is? It's you owning the space that you're standing on because Jesus is inside you and you're God's person. And they're saying, you've got control in your life. What is that about? You say, it's about Jesus. It's about my life belonging to him. It's about his grace and his peace inside of me in face of the storm. That's what it's about. Reflecting his so the question really is who's in control? If we accept that God owns us, then we, he owns the moment and he owns the moment and the moment belongs to him because he owns us. So every situation that we, we face in life is a situation where you have to count the cost. Now we studied in our passage of scripture in, in Luke chapter 14 verse 25 uh, and it talks in that passage of scripture, Jesus had a great big crowd following him and when, he, when the crowd starts to follow Jesus, Jesus always makes it difficult for a crowd to follow because he, he wants to sort the crowd out to find out who really is going to follow him. And he, so he says this really, really difficult statement. I think it's one of the most difficult statements in the Bible. And we studied it on Tuesday night. It, it, it goes something like this. Unless you hate, verse two, it's 26, he says, if you, anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and his sisters... Yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And that's a pretty big call. You know, I've got my lovely father here and my lovely mother here. They're with us today. Isn't it great to see mum and dad read here with us? Yes. But Jesus is asking me to do something that's really upstand. He says, unless I hate my mother and my father, that's you, and my father, I can't, I can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. I can't be a disciple. Are you choking on this one? You, you ought to choke if you think of it in, in, in earthly terms. Because it's it, it is meant to make you choke. 
He says, your brothers and your sisters, unless you love me, more, this is my sister, more than my sister, you, you're not worthy of me. Unless you hate her. Well, what about my own life? My own precious life. Unless I hate my own life, I'm not worthy of him. So what is he saying? What's he saying to try and get through to us here? He's saying something very profound. If my father would say to me, leave your Christian faith, give up, Mark. Don't pursue this any longer. Look, my son, listen to my counsel. You're wearing yourself out in this God stuff. You know, just take a break and focus in on some good, healthy work life. You know, get some money behind you and build your little empire. And look, don't be so pathetic about this churchy stuff. Son, come away. Oh, we'll set it up. We'll go and do something and make some good money. And if he was able to lure me away from that, it means my love for God would be less for my, than my love for my father. So I've got to hate that. Love God more than even if my father, if he tried to draw me away. Or if my mother said, Ah, oh, son, you just go over the top all the time. You're just radical. The reason you've got nothing in life is because you're so, so over the top. Why don't you just settle down and become normal like the rest of us? Just stop being so pedantic about nonsense. And I said, Yeah, I'm listening to your mum, yeah. Okay, I'll just settle down. Let me tell you something. Jesus says, if you love mum more than you love me, you don't hate that, then you can't be my disciple. Then he says, if you, if you only think your brothers and sisters are able to move you, or your sons and daughters are able to move you, I've got to give the, the God stuff away because my family. I've got to give the God stuff away because my, the ones I care about. I care about them more than the God stuff. I listen, your first God responsibility is to your family. Your first God responsibility is to your family. But it's not to put your family before God, it's to put God before your family. That's your first God responsibility. Seriously. If you get that all messed up, you can't be his disciple. What's he doing here? He's saying to you, it's you and me, Mark. It's you and me, Mark. It's your life and my life welded together to become one. I got the ground on which you stand because I own that and I'm giving it to you. But I got your life because I paid for it. I'm yours and yours mine. Now, don't put anything in between us. Nothing goes between us. Nothing goes between us all the time. Own the space. Own the space. Does that mean that I won't have a good family life? No, it means I'll have the best family life. Because I got it in the right order. It's when I get out of that and I say, I'll do my own thing. I'll stuff my wife. Stuff the kids. I'm going to go out with my mates. We're going to have some mate time here. That's the problem. When you've got it right here with God, he puts everything else right. It's the cost involved. He goes on and he says, unless, he says, unless you take up your cross and follow me, he says, you can't be my disciple. You've got to die to yourself. You've got to recognize that you are not in control. You don't own yourself. Rob, you don't own yourself. If you give your life to Jesus, Jesus owns you. That makes a whole lot of difference about your life, where you're going to go and how you're going to do that. It's a huge difference. 
It means they can't step out and say, well, I'll do what I want to do today. <laughs> no. Brad, you can't do that. You can't say, oh, I'll do what I want to do today. If you give yourself to God, he owns you. He, you sign that thing in there and he says, you're mine now. And you just try and walk away from it. He's got to come like a dad does and he say, let me actually tell you how much I love you in such a way that you will understand that I'm caring for you. And many of us endure hardship because it's discipline on our lives because God loves us. You say, well, what's this hardship that's going on in my life? You know, this hardship is because daddy's on your case and he's saying to you, wake up, I'm here, I'm in you and you better be doing what I want you to do because you belong to me. He says, if you'd listened to me, you wouldn't have the hardship. But you're not listening to me, so I'm going to give you two barrels of it, not just one. I'm going to give you twice as much because I love you. I'm going to turn you around. Well, dads that don't love their kids don't care about whether they turn around. Do your own stuff. I didn't give a damn. Do whatever you want to do. Get out of my face. That's a father who doesn't care. A father who cares stands in and says, I'm going to stand here and say, no, stop. And here's the reason, because God tells you this stuff and cares enough to stand in the way. Cares enough to speak to you when other people are too scared to speak to you because you're a teenager and you know everything. Listen to me. There's a cost involved here. Jesus didn't say, come and have this life for free, you know, although it's free. He says, you want to count the cost of what it's going to be for him to take ownership of your life. Don't start the exercise. Don't start building, he says, because you might not complete the... And everyone say, he says he's a Christian. Look at that. And look at him now. Started, but he's not able to finish. You know, there's a cost involved. What does it mean to follow Jesus? I have decided... To follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And we, we sing that. Did you decide? Because when you decide to follow Jesus, he says, you've got a contract. You know, there's no way out of this. No, the church doesn't own you. God owns you. He owns you. I don't own you. God owns you. I can't tell you what to do. You're God. You belong to God's. God, you're God's possession. I could tell you to do something. You can say, look, God really doesn't want me to. I have to sit back and say, okay, God's the boss. He's the one who's doing it for you. He owns you. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39, it gives us this positive side, you know. Okay, that's scary to think that God would want to control you, Taylor, and just live in your life and be the one who's the director and the organizer of everything in your life. And it's scary to say, okay, God, I'm going to give you that scope. I'm not going to, st- I'm not going to put my hand in there and try and change it. I'm, go- I'm not going to try and, I'm just going to follow your lead and I'm going to follow your guide. That's going to be really scary because, you know, if God wants you to go to China to be a missionary in China and get martyred in China, that's it, you know, that's what he wants you to do. And sometimes that's what he wants people to do. You know, I want you to go there. I want you to go to Iraq and I want you to go and work in Iraq and and you'll get five years of good years and you'll sow your life into those people and then they're going to take you out and they're going to chop you off, chop your head off because you're preaching. That's, 
If you were to able to read your future, some of your futures, that's what it would read. But I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back means you don't quit on that. You do what God wants you to do. You follow it through. And if it means death, it means death. Unto Jesus, who we go. He owns my life. He owns the ground on which I stand. I give my life to him. I count the cost. I say, whatever it costs, you say, why do you keep on going doing church stuff, Mark? Well, I can't. I have no choice in this matter. God would ordain that that's my life. And so I walk that way. And I keep walking that way. And some of you are glad I'm still walking that way because you wouldn't know Jesus unless I kept walking that way. And this is the beautiful promise. What shall we say then about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful promise. When we get there and says, no, wherever my foot shall go, that land he's already given me. If God be for us, who can be against us? I know it's getting rough out here. It's getting hot. The fire's getting warm. But if God be for us, who can be against us? I know I have to deal with the flesh. It's, it's bugging me a lot these days. But oh, well, if God be for me, who can be against me? I'm going to keep on walking this way, even though the world tells me not to. If God be for me, who can be against me? I'm just going to keep on going because God is for me God is for me God owns the space God owns me and he'll make it work what are you hanging on to what are you hanging on to in God are you hanging on to oh I just got to get there to the end hang on be strong be courageous there's a big land out there take it step at a time with God God is in you who can stand against you You know what? The enemy was more frightened of the Israelites than the Israelites understood. They were terrified. They saw the Israelites coming over the hill and the Israelites were walking like they were God's people. They were going someplace. And the people that they were going to, they were freaking out. They Look at that. They were scared. They were dismayed. They were falling apart. Listen to me. The devil is so scared of you. You sit in the corner shaking because you think the devil's a meaning. Stand up. The devil's more scared of you. You can tell him to leave and he will resist him and he will go. I don't see anybody running away who's not scared or frightened. Resist the devil, the Bible says, and he will flee from you. Problem is, we don't have the ground to resist because we don't think that we are good enough. And he said, you're good enough because God lives inside of you and he owns the ground on which you stand. That moment that you're entered into right now is God. The moment of temptation when you leave this place is God's moment of temptation. He's just saying to you, stand now and be strong. Resist. Push. Speak to it. Command the mountain to leave. Don't sit there. Life is for living. Say it with me. Life is for living. Now say it like you mean it. Let it come from here. Like you're full of God now. You own this. I, look, I know some of you are in some hard places. Life is for living. Let's do it. Life is for living.
So take Jesus with you. Move into that situation and say, I am here by the grace of God. The land on which I stand is his. I am owned by him. I'm going to speak his word into the situation there. This life is for living. And I'm not dying. I'm not going backwards. I'm going forwards in Jesus' name. Amen? Let's pray. Let's ask God to help us with this one this, during the week. Take that scripture home and read it. Read all of it. 31 to 39. It's amazing. No depth, no height, no demon, nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Okay, let's stand up, shall we? You know in your spirit whether you've been stepping back rather than stepping forward. You know whether you've been complaining about the land on which you stand. You know you might have said to God, God, why am I here? Why is this happening to me? Why isn't your blessing here in my life? Why isn't your fulfillment here in my life? Why am I standing on this ground? Why am I standing here in this place? Listen, friends, you are where you are because God ordained you to be there. God determined that you would be there. You are full of God's spirit. You, are, you belong to God and he owns the ground on which you stand. The moment of time on which you stand now is where God wants you to be. And it may be tough and it may be difficult, but listen, harden up now and do that. Come to the Holy Spirit. Raise your hands right now and ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, so fill me with yourself. So fill me with yourself, Holy Spirit. Strengthen me. Empower me. Give me your vision. Give me your eyes. Let me see your power in this situation. In Jesus' name. Father, I just pray for every person here in this place, oh God. You know their hearts. You know exactly where they are. You know what they struggle with. You know what they go through and what they face every day. Better than we do. Better than I do, Father. And you have told us so comfortably, Lord Jesus, that you are in the midst of it. And Lord, we thank you for being here with us right now. And we just say, Lord Jesus, that you are the one who gives us the strength and the power to overcome. Lord, and we will overcome because you never leave us, nor will you ever forsake us, where we may boldly say, the Lord is our helper. We should not fear and will not fear what man shall do unto us. Lord Jesus, you did not give us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Father, right now we just say to you, Lord Jesus, we belong to you. The situation belongs to you. Lord, work it out for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And Lord, help me to work with you and not to work against you. Help me to flow with you and not to flow against you, Father. Help me to be led by you and not to be led by the flesh, the world, and the devil. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you.